So I'm going to read a, a word of prophecy. This is from the book of Psalms 126. I'm just, just going to read it to you. And here's what I want you to do, church. If you believe that God is alive, and you believe this is a word from the Lord, and as I read this, if the Spirit turns your heart and compels you to celebrate, and you feel that this is a word for this church, then I want you in a Spirit-led way, in your voice, and the shouts, and in the praise, if you believe that this is a word for your church to impact the nations, not just the neighborhoods, I pray that the Spirit of the Lord stirs in you, and I believe that as he does, that it would be appropriate to recognize the very presence of God through shouts of celebration, recognition, realization, acceptance, and then sharing this with others. Here's what the Lord would say. When my God brought me back to the place he promised, we were like men and women who dreamed. Laughter filled our mouth. Our tongue was singing. Then it was said among the nation, God has done great things for you. Then it'll be said among the nations, God has done great things for this church, for this people. God indeed has done great things, and we are so glad. He's going to turn our captivities south and fill our lives with richness. For every tear that we've sown, it's going to be a song of joy. Because they that sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. They that have gone out weeping will bring in seed for the sowing. So doubtless come again with joy bringing, with sheaves with him. The nations, this nation, and all the nations of the world belong to Jesus. And if you want to be a part of that church, come on somebody. Come on somebody. Are you that church? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you reach the heart of one person, you reach the world. I want to talk to you about the opportunities to change the world. I'm telling you, church, again, I'm not your pastor. I subordinate to him. Everything I say, I pray comes under his covering. But if even a word that I say doesn't fall under the sweetness of that covering of your leadership here at this church, I pray the Holy Spirit erases it from your ears, removes it from your mind, because my word here today is about the local church, and it's about a hero named Carlton, his wife, their family, and the treasures they are. I will tell you this, because few people will ever tell you, there is no place darker, more difficult, more challenging, more hurtful, more lonely, more painful than a place of being a pastor. Look in scripture and you'll see the three greatest qualities of a leader. I've read the Bible multiple times and one time in particular I asked, okay God, when I read your word, what are those three things that make the great great, the powerful powerful? What are the greatest characteristics of the men and women changed history 
And I learned that there are three things identifiable from Genesis to Revelation. One is pain. Two is conflict. Three is loneliness. But for every pain, there's a sweetness, a healing, a sozo, the power of God. For every conflict, for every Goliath, there's a smooth stone somewhere in a creek. And for every loneliness, I want you to know as a pastor who cannot say this to my own congregation, forgive me the liberty if I share it with you now, you are in a place where a man and a woman dreamed of and they were the first to take a step and you were the fearless to follow. Trust your leadership. Encourage them to dream. Recognize, yes, there's pain, conflict, and loneliness, but the joy of the journey are the hands and the feet that are in this room. If you want to change the world, reach one person. You want to leave the world as it is? Do nothing. Again, my message here is to encourage. Come on, somebody. I'm in Nigeria. I'm in the very heartbeat of Africa. I'm in the place where the water hit the ripple and it turns into tidal waves into the nations. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe in your leadership. And for every great decision Carlton has made, we all agree Anita should get the credit. Say this with me. If you want to change the world, reach the heart of one person. And I will caution you as a brother in love with this. If you chase the spectacular, listen to me. If you chase the spectacular in the world of ministry, you'll miss the miracle because the miracle is in the small, the miracle is in the moment, the miracle is in the new birth of a soul. I've seen the miraculous, I've seen the outrageous, I've seen the incredible and the sensational, but nothing beats the miracle of one man sharing his faith in love to another. Nothing beats the faith of a mother or father at the bedside of a child, kissing them on the head, reminding them that they were made by design, that the future has been determined before the first day was ever here. I want to share with you today, tomorrow, how you can change the world, and it will never be the same. Because if you want to reach the heart of one person, there lies the power to change the world. I have spoken to the thousands and more nations than I can remember. But the ones who are leading churches now, the ones who are impacting the nations, are not the ones who were in the masses or the congregations. They're the ones that I sat with, I had coffee with, I cried with, I spoke with, I prayed with, I shared with. It cost me time, but it gave back so much more. I have two beautiful children of my own. My first was a daughter. She was a promise to me that was given to me as a 13-year-old who opened a Bible for the first time in his life and out of it was an obituary. And in that obituary, there was a name, Jamie Goolsbay, someone who had died. I took this to my mom and I brought it to her and said, Mom, what is this? She cried and she sobbed. She said, I never wanted you to know about your brother who died. And I could tell in that brokenness and, and there was something that was so destroying to their lives. It took my parents' marriage. They didn't have Jesus. Nobody was a believer. And I could see the depth and the hurt of that. And I remember thinking, God, I hate you. I don't even know you. 
but to take the life of the innocent. I want nothing to do with you. How many of you know you don't get to be God? How many of us know we would not be a very good God if we got to be one? We're an even worse Holy Spirit. As soon as I received Jesus, I was still so angry about the loss of a brother, the Lord himself spoke to my heart. And I will give you a child. She'll be a beautiful daughter. Her name will be Jamie. To this day, she's been married for five years now and has given me the greatest gift, next only to salvation. Do you know what that is? Grandbabies. Being a granddad is like being a parent 2.0. It's like the latest update. The next child that we had was a boy, and all of a sudden, the apple that fell from the tree had a stem. And I remember thinking, Jesus, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't know what it's like to be a dad. God said, be any kind of dad that you want. Today, he's a mechanic. He loves life. He loves his wife. They have a beautiful little girl, my granddaughter, Camden. You see, I fear very little for myself, but now I look to the nations, and I want to know who's going to step up. Who is going to be the fearless and face the giant? Who is going to be the one who will walk a journey alone so that others can have the steps to follow? And then the conflict, blessed are the peacemakers. I want to tell you a quick story in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 18. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, and therefore... I'm giving it to you. Make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that this church is a gift. Have mercy on us, Father. Anytime we take this gift, this thing that you call the bride, and we treat it or speak of it in a way that does not reveal its beauty in our own harm, in the light of others. I want you to know that your leaders here have a clear vision. Think about it. How often do we just do church or have church? Vision is power. Vision is where the God gets to show up and we can identify. I've been to four universities and one Bible school. I'm a professor. I teach in a graduate school when it comes to people that want to get their masters in business administration. I teach undergraduates. I do this as a part-time. Being a pastor is my heart. I just got to go back to school over the years. And I will tell you what sets some places apart. If you're a business leader, if you're a business owner, let me tell you, recognize excellence, have a vision. And this church is a vision. This church, to me, If you'll run with it, the world will never be the same. You can change the world. And all you have to do is walk across the room. A cold water, a handshake, a loving care, a word of kindness. Somebody that you know the world is broken. And you know, it doesn't matter if they believe in God or not. 
if a person is broken and they're hurt and you offer a prayer, you know what they'll say? Well, now it can't hurt, can it? Do you know why there's not more miracles, I believe, in my community? Because nobody's willing just to pray. The woman whose heart is obviously broken as she stands in the mirror in the restroom. The guy who feels lonely and has just lost his job. You see, prayer is not about having the answers. It's about having the heart and inviting God into the process. In Luke chapter 8, verse 38, there was a man who had had a pretty rough life. I think if any of us had a thousand demons in us, it would make for a bad day. The man from whom the demons had gone out says that he begged him. He begged Jesus. He said, please, let me go with you, saying, please, let me come. And here's what Jesus said. He said, return home. Tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus has done. If you take the synoptic gospels and you, and you take this story and you see how they went across the lake and you can see the ministry journey of Jesus in the Mediterranean, you can see in, in, in Matthew and in Mark, in Mark chapter five, verse one, it says they went across the lake to a region, to the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with evil spirits came to meet him. It's the same story, Jesus delivers him. And what does he do? Please, Lord, let me come with you. I'm telling you, church, the question is not, are we asking for Jesus to come with me? Are we inviting Jesus to come with us? Do you hear me? Do I invite him into my home? Do I invite him into my life? Do I invite him into the dark secret spots of my soul? Do I invite him into my family? I don't know about your children, but at time, my children were crazy. At times, I remember thinking, you, my daughter left, walked out as a seventh grader, and she came back, this beautiful woman. And I remember thinking, who are you? And what have you done with my child? My son going through life and the difficulties are so many times where it's like, I'm the worst father ever, but I just knew one thing. I knew what God had done for me. I knew that he had touched me. And so I would tell the story again and again. Mikey, my son, God loves you. Dad's been imperfect. You're imperfect, but the perfect God is here. Invite him into the process. I know that it's tough. Let's take Jesus with you and stop just asking him to come and help us when we get in trouble. My daughter was easy. She just had to grow up and be like her mom, who's among the most beautiful ever meet. In verse 15, Mark chapter 5, it says, they came to Jesus, and they saw the man sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who seen it told about it. It goes on to talk about Jesus pleaded. They pleaded with Jesus that they wanted this guy to leave this guy wanted to go with them. And Jesus getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, he begged him, I want to go with you, God. And notice what Jesus said. And Jesus did not let him, but he said, go home to your family and tell how he's had mercy on you. 
So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. How many of you know if a crazy man with a thousand demons all of a sudden becomes normal, that is interesting. And he's been delivered and he's free. But he's been given one instruction. Jesus here shared with him the secret. I know you want to come with me. These are my words, not the scriptures. My, my idea of what must have been said. I know you want to get in a boat with me. I know you want to be with me. But will you take me with you? You see, Jesus did all the talking with the disciples. But here, Jesus says, why don't you go talk? So this man, he goes home. When he walks in, he says, something's happened. What do you think his story sounded like? People would see him at first, and I'm sure, no doubt, they would run. Luke chapter 840, during this whole time, says that Jesus had gone around and he, there are many things, and you can, you can parallel this together with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I just want you to see what happened. Jesus, now he gets in a boat. The man has been healed. He's been given one instruction. Go talk to your family. Go tell about the good things that God has done. And then he comes back, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now Jesus returned, and a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Mark 6.35 says this. It says, by this time, it was late. Imagine. Now, I don't know how many of you are on social media. But pay attention. Jesus healed a man. This man went and told his family. When Jesus came back, thousands were waiting for him. I believe the Holy Spirit can do a lot, but I don't think he went on everybody's door. Hello? My name is the Holy Spirit. In a few days, Jesus is going to be coming. If you would like to meet him, I'm selling tickets. The first 500 get a front row seat. No, you know what happened? A man told his family Jesus has done something for me. One man told his family, because one man can reach a family, but I want you to know something, a family can reach thousands. There was no social media, the news didn't report it. One man chose to speak what God had done. Or he decided to be silent. You see, any church, I believe, is a week away from having thousands. Did you know that? If people tell their story. If people share what the Lord has done for them. I have to be wise with being a guest at other churches. But when my church says, I just don't know what God has done for me. It infuriates me. Because it reminds me of how little their world has become. What happens next is so incredible. 
Because in this crowd of people that Jesus had mercy, it was late, and the, the disciples are saying, hey, you know what? Kentucky Fried Chicken is about to close. They need to go eat. Send them to the city. Send them away so they can go eat. And you know what Jesus said? You feed them. And the miracle of the feeding of the thousands, and I said they all went away. What? Satisfied. One man, thousands of people, Jesus satisfied. There's a hunger that exists in the soul of every man. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, I am so thankful that you're here. I will tell you as somebody who's a pastor, I will tell you somebody who's a professor, I will tell you this, ask intelligent questions. Go to reasonable resources and invite God into the process. And you will come to the undeniable reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. That the intelligent design of the Father, his fingerprints are everywhere. The world has fallen, it's broken. The enemy wants all to fail. But for a church like this, whose commitment is unyielding, whose vision is clear, whose leadership is leadership. I'm telling you, church, inside of every person, there is one question that God asks you. It says yes or no. And it is no more difficult to pick up a pen and mark the yes box. But so often, we leave it unanswered. Think about that moment when you go to the store or you're talking to a family member or a loved one. That four, five, six, seven seconds when you're wondering, is God asking me to say something? Is God asking me to do something? Is God asking me to help? Is he asking me to offer prayer? But that moment passes. I will tell you this, I won't miss that. Ask my dearest friend, Dr. Larry. I find the craziest opportunities to share Jesus all over the place. And part of the reason I think that he's here with me is to guarantee my security because sometimes with those things, I walk away with a limp. Like Jacob after wrestling with Jesus. I've seen your pastor share in an auditorium with youth to this day, they remember his message. Now, in all fairness, Pastor Carlton has the coolest accent ever. But you have a chance to change. And so what happens next, we see, is there's a revival with 7,000 people. And if we jump ahead in the story, because not only is telling God how much we, he's done for us. And by the way, that word is diogenomai, geomai. And you know what it means? It means tell the story Live the story, share the story. Paul says we're living epistles known and read by all men. Jesus had compassion. He fed them. We know that. But now I want to fast forward because I believe, I believe among these 7,000 or very, very close was a young man whose life was so impacted by this incredible moment that he made a commitment to Jesus and he decided he wanted to be a follower of Christ. Whether he was in this group or in this area, I do know geographically he was from this area. But all of a sudden, I think there was this young man who was impacted. Remember, a demon-possessed man was delivered. He wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus said, no, go home. Thousands of people came because he 
just shared his story. Thousands of people came, and those thousands of people began to talk, and an incredible revival broke out. And I believe one of the people that came out of that in leadership was a man named Stephen. And Stephen, he gets a very long chapter in the book of Acts and why he's chosen, but I want to I want to shorten it in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 58. It says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They're furious at Stephen because he knew his faith, because he knew his Savior, because he knew the truth. And those that were in spiritual leadership at the time, they did not like what he had to say. They didn't like who he was because he was winning people for Jesus. Why? Because he was compelled to tell his story. Silence is partnership and permissibility for souls to be lost forever. Did you hear me? Our silence in faith makes hell permissible. I don't know about you, but hell is not okay. It's not okay for my children or, or my grandchildren. And so we see Stephen here who's who's coming under fire. And in verse 58 says, when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voice. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they stoned him. Now, there's quite an interesting day for a first day of ministry. I thought my first days were difficult. Stephen gave up his life. They dragged him out into the city. Please, in the name of the sweet Savior, and who one hand holds a staff to rescue, to save, and in the other hand holds a rod to defend and to protect his people. In the name of the Father, who knows you, cares so deeply for you. Please look at this next sentence. Demon-possessed man shared with his family. That family shared with thousands. Somewhere in that group was a man named Stephen. Stephen has just died. He's being stoned. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Do you know who Saul was? The great persecutor of the church. By Hebrew tradition, Dr. Larry being my senior and somebody who is far more intelligent than me, if I were to do something under his supervision and before I would use words, I would take my coat and I would lay it at his feet and he would nod or he would shake his head if my actions that followed were permissible. You see, the very people who took the life of Stephen laid their, their coats at the feet of Saul, him giving permission for what they were about to do. I believe this so disrupted Saul and something that stuck with him that was on this same road in this same area when he was going to get permission to kill more Christians, God himself stopped and said, Saul, why do you persecute me? The demon-possessed man who shared with his family. A revival breaks out in the city. A leader comes to the surface. 
He gave his life. And make no mistake, the life that he gave was a defining moment on Saul, who we know as Paul. The majority of the New Testament would be authored by him. And what's so amazing is in Roman and Hebrew tradition, you were given two names. His name was Saul and his name was Paul. He did not go with his Hebrew name. He went with his Roman name. You don't think one person can change the world? What would church look like today without Paul? What would our messages sound like without the books of the pastoral epistles? But what gives me the right? What gives me the right to share my faith? I'm going to tell you what gives me the right. I'm going to tell you what gives me the right to share God's grace. I'm not perfect. In Christ, I'm seen as beloved. In this world, if you talk to people who've known me, I hope most will like me. Some don't care for me. If you believe everybody likes you, that makes you delusional. But it's okay because everybody there knows you and they like you. What gives me? If I were to take my favorite scriptures and ask what gives me the right to share my love for Jesus? What gives me the right to offer a prayer or to just share with somebody what Jesus has done for me? Do you know what church is? Jesus' name, please don't forget this. Please don't forget this. Please don't forget this. Imagine the whites of my eyes. Imagine, imagine as close as you can see me. Imagine me being just as clear as I can. This place is the place where God is most obvious. Worship ministry. We bring church to a place where God is famous so they can share and better see. Yes, we can have church in our home and, and yes, we can have church out and about. Yes, we can have church with our family, but I want you to know church, the local church, is the place where God is most famous. There is nothing. There is not a person, a practice, a politician, an entity, an organization, or a government that can bring lasting change. Lasting change can only come from here. It comes from the church. What gives me the right to God's grace? If I were to tell you my favorite scriptures, here's what I'd tell you. His name is the healer, the shepherd, the God, the creator, the God of peace, the one who sacrifices. All power comes from him. He knows no boundaries. He is without measure. Nothing compares. And there is no compromise. His name is Elohim. He is the eternal, the all-powerful, the comforter, the ruler, authority, the God who provides. He's the everlasting father, the God of the hills, the beginning and the end 
He even has the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords written on his thighs. He is Jehovah, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting, the All-Infinite and Wise. He is the Father. He is my Father. I am a Son. He is the Spirit, the Creator, the Designer, the very breath of life. Nothing can be hidden from Him. The ever-present, all-knowing, His name is righteous. They call Him mighty. They call Him the prize. He's the God of salvation. Healing is, is in His hands. He has the power to bring you to a place, a place as if you had never, ever sinned. His grace is unstoppable. His love is unconditional. His mercies are new. All He wants, all He's ever wanted is you. What does He want from you? He just says, choose. He's the God of love. Love is his only language. It's all he speaks. It's outrageous, overwhelming, unconditional, contagious. It's free. God called on his son to be humiliated as a man and to give it all, to be tortured for my transgressions, shamed for all of our sins. He was cursed. He was hung on a tree, left to be condemned. Jesus died. He died, he died for me. He wanted one thing. He wanted his brothers, his sisters to be free, murdered in my place. The Lamb of God sacrificed for me, but he came to life, and now I've been set free. Sin no longer has power. Death has no sting. God made Jesus alive. Jesus set me free. Now in Jesus, my sins are forgiven. All he wants is my heart to heal my broken soul, to cover my shame, to make me whole. Now, devil, let's make one thing clear. My God is my king, and from here on, he will be the only I fear. His heart is for a man. Our cries the Savior's heard. He showers us with favor, even when it's not deserved. So what gives me the right? I've been covered in grace. I'm called family together. And I can point in the devil's face. I don't care what I've done. Jesus has already taken my place. That these are my brothers. These are my sisters. They're no longer dead. I'm putting all of their feet on top of your ugly head. There's no place he can't reach me. I've been made perfect in Jesus. and the very image of God, Jesus has set me free. The power of death and sin are gone. Raise your voice, family. Do you believe? Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Thank you for that word. One person, one person can make a difference.